Udaipur is actually one of the most beautiful place in the Rajasthan state of India. It is a tourist destination and is known for its history and scenic locations. We often call it as a city of lakes as well because of its sophisticated lake system. There is a very famous lake in Udaipur known as Lake Pichola. If you haven't woken up in the morning and feel the nip in the air, to see the gleaming sun rays fall on Lake Pichola, it is so beautiful. To hear the beautiful sounds of birds and experience the bright, sweet-smelling flowers up there. Nothing works better than walking in the midst of the nature. So this is how the Udaipur looks like without air pollution. Hi, I'm Stephanie Tumampos and you're listening to Down to Earth, the show where we talk to incredible geoscientists about their science and its impacts in our planet. Now, in the last episode, we talked about urbanization and the way it both shapes and is shaped by climate change. Today, we're heading to Udaipur in India to explore one of urbanization's biggest, but often least talked about, contributors to climate change, air pollution. This season of Down to Earth is supported by the Inspire, Develop, Empower, Advance or IDEA Committee of the IEEE Geoscience and Remote Sensing Society. The IDEA Committee works to empower engineers and scientists in their geoscience and remote sensing careers by organizing events, activities and programming for members around the world. One program listeners should definitely explore is their Women Mentoring Women program. This mentorship program is an incredible experience that fosters careers and friendships across generations, disciplines, and geographies. To learn more, visit grss-ieee.org and select IDEA from the community header menu. The Indian subcontinent has consistently been at the center of attention for its spine-chilling air quality all over the country. And Rajasthan state, where Udaipur is situated, lies in the arid and semi-arid agroclimatic zone of the country. So there are several natural reasons behind the elevated concentration of particulate matter in the air in Udaipur. But when it gets coupled with the anthropogenic activities, the condition becomes even critical. This is Dr. Shivanji Samvanji. She's the Director for Geospatial Knowledge Infrastructure at Geospatial World, where she supports countries around the world with building national strategies for geospatial policy. In addition to her policy-oriented work, she also conducts research on air pollution. Geospatial technology, including new products and indices of satellite remote sensing, has huge capability of accurate air quality monitoring and modeling in a cost-effective and efficient manner, which is still unexplored. So my passion towards this science has forced me to explore this potential. Shivanji has focused this passion on exploring different models for assessing air quality using remote sensing. As you'll hear her explain, some of the models have worked well while others still need refinement. However, what's exciting is that they all show promise for helping us reduce the 4.2 million premature deaths worldwide that are caused by air pollution every year. I'd like to start with some basics. First of all, what is air pollution? Air pollution is contamination of the indoor or the outdoor environment by any chemical, physical, or a biological agent. 
that modifies the natural characteristics of the atmosphere. It can be indoor, it can be outdoor, can be household combustion devices, can be your motor vehicles, industrial facilities, forest fire. So these are some of the common sources which are causing air pollution. Okay, and how do we assess air pollution levels? So the air quality, the ambient air quality is actually measured with a parameter which is known as air quality index, AQI. And the AQI actually works like a thermometer and that runs across uh, from 0 to 500. However, instead of showing changes in the temperature, the AQI, air quality index, is the way of showing changes in the amount of pollution in the air. If the air quality index value is less than 50 in a specific area, that means the air quality is good. And at this low AQI, a person can spend time outdoor and air pollution will pose very little risk to his health. As the AQI value increases towards 500, so does the risk to human health. When we think of climate change, we often think about rising temperatures and changes of weather. But air pollution is something we don't really associate with climate change. So why is it important for us to talk about it? Well, um, air pollution has a direct impact on human health, right? It contributes to climate change and damages the entire ecosystem. So when we breathe, pollution enters into our lungs and they can even enter into our bloodstreams. So air pollution can contribute to small annoyance like coughing or itching of the eyes. And it can even lead to the worst consequences leading to cancer and even premature death. So one of the primary air pollutant, which is carbon dioxide, which is one of the major contributors to global warming and the climate change. So if we have to sustain our life, we need to care about air pollution. I'm glad you linked air pollution with carbon dioxide, because I think when people think about air pollution, they're thinking about smog or other aerosol contaminants. But carbon dioxide is also a component of air pollution. And as you say, it's one of the biggest ones impacting climate change today. So thank you for defining air pollution and why we need to be talking about it. Now, if I understand correctly, studying air pollution is actually a bit complicated, right? What makes it complicated? Well, it's a very dynamic process. And lots of parameters are contributing to it. It's not only the pollutants, right? It's not only about carbon dioxide, particulate matter, nitrogen oxide. No. When these kind of pollutants are interacting with each other, there are some secondary consequences like photochemical smog, climate change, increased elevation in the land surface temperature. So it's not just identifying the concentration of the pollutants. It's a very dynamic process. And keeping a track of such a dynamic process is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Now, we started this interview by talking about Udaipur because you recently conducted a study during COVID-19 in this city, and you looked at air quality before and during the lockdowns. So talk to me about this research. So just before pandemic, the air quality index in Udaipur showed that the air quality in Udaipur was very poor and was causing severe health issues in the city. So this, this was the major reason why I selected Udaipur as my study area at that time. And uh, the leading causes of higher concentration of pollutants in Udaipur are 
natural dunes because it's a desert area around. Then you have cement plants, uh, stone cutting industries. We have crushing industries, chemical plants, power plants, uh, municipal waste incineration, petrol and diesel stations, agricultural burning. Uh, here in India, it's very common, right? Increased vehicle population, so etc. These were some of the common factors which were actually deteriorating the air quality of Odhapur. Now, in particular, my research comprises the data associated with land surface temperature, LST, and the air quality of Udaipur city. So in this research, we have thrown some light on the changes in the air quality and land surface temperature before and during the COVID-19 pandemic lockdown for the month of April specifically for these two consecutive years, 2019 and 2020. And the main objective of this research was to contemplate, assess, and analyze the air pollution of Udaipur based on the existing levels of air quality to map the distribution of these pollutants and to unfold the relation between them for the mentioned two periods. Also, how air pollution is contributing to the rise in the temperature of that particular area. Now, I know the parameters you assessed were nitrogen oxide, nitrogen dioxide, ozone, carbon monoxide, and 2.5 particulate matter. Now, what technologies did you use to collect the data to do this research? So ground-based data of air quality of Udaipur was collected with the help of continuous ambient air quality observing stations, the other meteorological stations, uh, which was established there by Central Pollution Control Board of India, in collaboration with different other local environmental protection agencies to keep a check on the local air quality. Then satellite data of Landsat 8, OLI and TIRS was obtained from USGS, uh, United States Geological Survey. Image pre-processing techniques like atmospheric and radiometric corrections were applied to multi-temporal Landsat images. Then further, the geostatistic tool, IDW, inverse distance weighted, was applied to the collected ground truth data to determine spatial pattern and distribution of selected six major air quality parameters over the entire city. Then uh, further, we used thermal bands of the Landsat 8 satellite image to evaluate the land surface temperature. And finally, as all these interpolated maps, which we generated through IDW and the LST, land surface temperature map, was subjected to AHP, that is analytical hierarchy process. So we have used this algorithm to produce air quality severity zonation maps for both the time frames. This process actually helped us in assigning weights to all the parameters and further developing a model to generate air quality severity zonation map of that particular area. And what were the findings? Um, using air quality model, which we developed, it was clear that due to a massive decrease in transport and industrial activities during the lockdown, the air quality has improved drastically. Further, it was validated with the ground truth values as well to know the accuracy of our developed model. 
you said that uh, air pollution has drastically um, improved over the lockdowns, and now we're going back to normal. But that really points out to the anthropogenic cost of air pollution. I agree that during this pandemic, air pollution level has reduced drastically, along with other pollution as well, such as noise and water pollution. But at the cost of so many human lives, it's heartbreaking, right? Like for attaining that air quality, we don't need COVID-19 pandemics. Yeah, I truly agree. I think the pandemic was really heartbreaking. I mean, a lot of people had really sacrificed or have have lost their lives because of this virus. But somehow, in some ways, I think that we needed the lockdown to really prove to ourselves how we contribute to air quality. It was a wake-up call. But now that it's basically impossible to deny our impacts, we can talk about how to make changes so that lives aren't lost. How can we apply your findings to tackling air pollution around the world? Um, The models which we have developed can be used to identify the air pollution severity zones. And accordingly, decision makers can take timely and necessary actions in these areas. Right now, in India, we rely on monitoring stations for the measurement of air quality which is highly resource-intensive in terms of time and cost. So the appropriate geospatial techniques, like the model we developed, can be used to estimate concentrations where air quality monitoring stations are not available. It can be utilized by city planners for the pollution mitigation and control programs. So governments and individuals should pick up bits of knowledge from this lockdown and devise the most capable techniques using remote sensing, using other geospatial technologies to diminish contaminations on a drawn-out premise. After the break, Shivanji shares how she's been testing different remote sensing models to assess air pollution all over India. We also learn how she's working with the United Nations to bring the power of remote sensing to developing nations around the world. So stick around. When you were first in university, full of passion for science and tech, how many women were in your classes? And as you progressed from undergrad to specialization to your first job and beyond, what happened? If you're like most scientists, technicians, engineers, and mathematicians, chances are the higher you climbed in your career, the fewer women you saw around you. But what if I told you, you can help shift this trend? Research demonstrates that mentorship can have a huge impact on a woman's career. By choosing to mentor a young woman in science, you'll help them gain confidence, pursue exciting career opportunities, and even help increase the promotion and earning potential for years to come. Consider joining the Geoscience and Remote Sensing Society's Women Mentoring Women program and make a big difference in a young scientist's life. Learn more by visiting grss-i888.org and select IDEA from the community header menu. And we're back. Today, we've been speaking with Dr. Shivanji Samvanji, Director for Geospatial Knowledge Infrastructure at Geospatial World. One of Shivanji's passions is exploring the use of remote sensing for tackling the ever-growing issue of air pollution in India. Through the opportunity presented by COVID-19, Shivanji was able to study air pollution in Udaipur before and during the lockdowns. 
This work entailed collecting data from ground sensors as well as satellites. And for Shivanji, it further highlighted a very real need to develop new and improved models for assessing air pollution exclusively from remote sensing. So that's exactly what she's done. Take a listen. You've expanded on your models for using remote sensing to study and report on air pollution. Why do you want to use remote sensing for this research and what models have you tested so far? Deterioration of air quality in most of the large cities in India is a matter of concern. And a huge amount of deaths are reported annually due to air pollution here in India. The primary source of information for estimating a population exposure to, to air pollution has been the measurements from ground monitoring networks. But although coverage is increasing, regions remain in which monitoring is limited. So keeping in view, I had made several attempts to develop a GIS model which will help conveniently obtaining air quality information directly from remotely sensed data, which is cost-effective. And also you can get the information of those areas where you, it is not possible for you to go and collect and sample and do the analysis. I have also used uh, Landsat 8 and OLI and TIRS data to develop the linear regression-based models for various air quality parameters. Apart from them, I've also explored several aerosol-based products like Sentinel's AAI, Aerosol Absorption Index, uh, Modest AOD, Aerosol Optical Depth, and our Indian satellite, InSat AOD product for estimating the concentration of particulate matter in air. And what did you find? Some of these models were very accurate. We were able to uh, get the exact value of different air pollutants in a specific area. However, few of them still need refinement and validation with respect to the accuracy. But compared to that of the traditional method, remote sensing is very efficient and more accurate and reliable. And it can give you a synoptic view at a time, right? So... For a large area, it is more beneficial to, to rely on this technique. What are the next steps for refining this model going forward? Um, ambient and indoor air pollution is estimated to have, you know, it's, it's actually, as I told you, it's very difficult. Difficult to estimate the concentration of air pollution being it so dynamic in nature. And it's the health impacts of the pollution, be it indoor, be it outdoor pollution, also represent a heavy cost to the economy of the country. The intensified heat waves as a result of climate change have led to the elevations in temperature levels. Sometimes elevation in temperature level is also due to increasing the concentration of air pollutants like carbon dioxide, particulate matter, causing thermal discomfort and several health issues to, to urban residents. Air pollutants such as aerosols, they also affect the climate of Earth either directly by absorption and scattering of the radiations or indirectly by uh, altering the cloud properties and the radiation transfer process. So one basic thing which I still want to explore, how I can correlate the increase in the concentration of the particulate matter and how much they are contributing to the climate change and the elevation in the temperature of an area. This is something which I still want to work on and try to refine my models further in this regard. You mentioned 
about I mean, we're talking here about air pollution and how it impacts the health of of the people and um, the environment. But what made me uh, kind of interested with what you said is that air pollution impacts the economy. In what ways it, does it impact the economy? I'm, I'm interested in knowing. Um, I was just going through a study where because of the poor air quality, there is a significant decline in the economy in the past uh, few years. And India is actually starting on the top 10 countries with respect to the poor air quality as of now. During the month of November here in India, that's the time when the farmers, they harvest their farm and then they burn the residue. When they burn the residue along with the wind direction, the entire particulate matters, they enter into Delhi and they get captured there in Delhi for around a week, which leads to a very worse air quality in Delhi for at least a week, where the PM10 and PM2.5 shoots around 1,000. The desired AQI value for PM10 is 60 and it's 1,000. During that one week, it is a kind of short lockdown for us, where we are forced to stay back into our home, right? People are not working for that one week, which is affecting their livelihood, which is affecting so many businesses across, and ultimately it is affecting the economy. And this is not once a year. This doesn't happen once a year. This air quality is affecting different states of India at different time period. So when the people are not able to move out because of the poor uh, air quality, right, they're forced to stay back into their home, which is actually affecting their businesses. That's a very clear example of how pollution in general, and in particular air pollution, can affect not just the lives of people, but the whole economy instead. And people are not talking about it. Why aren't we talking about these economic factors? Why do you think people, especially in the government, I guess, not talking about these? I mean, this is very important. Exactly. It is important. Maybe the lack of uh, awareness. Maybe the, their incapability of controlling these kind of scenarios. Maybe the lack of technologies which can help us in overcoming these kind of things. But there are so many aspects. And uh, I personally believe that geospatial technologies can act as one of the very powerful tools for, for decision makers to come out with timely decisions with respect to these kind of problems which we are facing at national level. There are so many things which are coming out. There are so many products which are available worldwide. There are so many technologies, but they are yet not being implemented on the ground. And the reason is that, that the people are not aware of this technology to that extent. They are still more comfortable in going to the ground, collecting the sample. They are more comfortable with ground truth data rather than relying on the satellite data. So this is one thing which actually you know, pinches me a lot. But I personally, in my career, will keep on exploring the advancements of the geospatial technologies for the benefit of environment, society, and economy. I'm just really happy that you're in this field because you're doing something that impacts a lot of people. And I do agree with you. I mean, that pinches me a lot as well. 
Like, why are we just doing research and the implementation? That's the the other end of the science we're doing. Where is the implementation? Why is it so slow? We have cutting edge research here, but then the implementation is super, super slow. How can we improve implementation on this side? Because this is this is the other side that needs that will affect our stakeholders, which is the public, the people. Um, see, there are several ways. Number one, I believe that there has to be a strong public-private uh, partnership in this regard, because most of the implementation activities are in the hand of public domain, right? And most of the innovations are there with the private people. So, you know, there should be a public-private partnership, a strong public-private partnership, so that these public people can adopt these kind of technology from the private sector. And that will be one step towards the implementation. Then um, developing nations, basically, there is a need of, of a capacity building in, in developing nations so that the people are aware what exactly geospatial technologies are. Right, Most of the people in the developing nation, they think that geospatial technology is only about Google Maps. Even if they're using Instagrams, right? they're tagging themselves. So they are using geospatial technology, location intelligence. In any ways, they are using location intelligence unknowingly that they're doing that. So awareness, awareness is missing. Even the people who are working in this domain, they can introduce valuable information to to identify, to visualize, and to explore the relationship between various environmental aspects. Yeah, I do agree. And and they have no idea. So I truly agree that there should be awareness, education on this, this, this matter. And correct me if I'm wrong, but raising awareness of geospatial tech, capacity building, and implementation of geospatial research are all components of your current project with the United Nations, right? So can you tell us more about this work? Okay, so the project which we are currently running is Advancement in Geospatial Knowledge Infrastructure in World's Economy, Society, and Environment. It's a concept right now, which is nothing but an evolution of National Spatial Data Infrastructures, NSDH. So there are so many nations which have NSDIs. Uh, they have the spatial data infrastructure at national level. So this all started with a concept of the significance of geospatial technology in, towards the attainment of sustainable development goals. I think anybody from a geospatial ecosystem will agree this, that geospatial sciences or geospatial technology has a significant role towards the attainment of SDG across all the 17 SDG goals, some way or the other. So with this objective, we have put across that in order to attain SDGs at national level, they need to have a stable geospatial infrastructure in place in their nation. And to, to have a stable geospatial infrastructure, there has to be an efficient national geospatial strategy in place. So we as a consultant, we are trying to, to develop a national level strategy for different nations, specifically with respect to developing nations, so that they can have a good geospatial infrastructure in place in their nation and they they can move ahead towards the attainment of SDGs. This concept consists of several components. We have 
foundation data as one of the components. Then we are having partnership and collaboration as one of the components. Then integrated policies, industry leadership, the analytics and modeling aspect. With the advancement in technologies in 4IR, 4IR era or fourth industrial revolution era, so only geospatial technologies are not sufficient enough. There should be an integration of AI, ML, blockchain. If you integrate geospatial technology with these 4IR technologies, the modeling and the prediction are much better because the world do not need the static maps anymore. They are looking for real-time analysis. So that is, again, one of the companies. So we are just trying to advocate the people across the globe what should be an ideal geospatial infrastructure of your nation look like, how you can attain it. So that is what the project is all about. So it's, it's a kind of awareness program and also an advocacy. Being a consultant, we are providing them an advocacy that how they can attain this. This seems like a very huge project, a very big work, and you're the head of this project. Have there been any challenges you've, been, you've faced or been facing as while well, leading this huge project in a very uh, modest group of people? Um, yes, there, there are some challenges like big responsibilities. So they come with challenges, definitely. Challenges of making the people understand a new concept. It's not easy. Like we, we come across several nations where the people are not ready to accept the fact that geospatial has that power. So making them understand and then dealing with them. So it is a little challenging, but not impossible. For all our listeners right now, what advice would you have for them, especially for the ones who are new to remote sensing? I just want to say that in remote sensing, nothing is impossible. Whatever is invisible to your naked eyes, you can see through through satellite, right? So if the satellite image has that power, Everything is possible. Just think of the problem and that can be done by remote sensing. So if you have any challenge, if you have any problem in your mind, this is the best science to explore and most accurate and efficient way of getting out the solutions for any problem in the world. Well, that's all for this episode of Down to Earth. Want to learn more about Dr. Shivanji Samvanshi? Then connect with her on LinkedIn or follow her through the YouTube channel, Geotechnocrats, where she's offering a complete YouTube tutorial on GIS for beginners. You can also check out her work with the UN through the Geospatial World website at geospatialworld.net. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you never miss a new episode. And follow our sponsors on social media at IEEE underscore GRSS on Twitter and Instagram, and IEEE Geoscience and Remote Sensing on Facebook and LinkedIn. This episode was produced by Nicole Bedford from Nicole Bedford Films with help from me, Stephanie Tomampos. Graphics and design by Mylene Briggs of Killam Media. And a special thanks to Heather McNairn and Sean Kipover for their support. I'm Stephanie Tomampos and you've been listening to Down to Earth.